the question. Ask the question, challenge it, it's fine. I, I believe that God wants us to do that because I've read Job and I've read the Psalms because that's what happens in scripture. That's what, that's what it means to have a relationship with a God who actually cares about us is he actually wants us to ask the question. So we do do that, but we also have to be willing and ready to say, okay, God, but I understand your authority. If you're really saying that, I understand it's because you created it all. And ultimately, I think that means that you know what you're doing. And I think that's a simple application of God being the creator for us this morning. The second question uh, that I think comes out of reading this, and I think the question that I would want to ask next is, okay, if God created the world, this whole unmoved mover philosophical argument actually only gets us so far. If we say that, all right, if it's a choice between turtles all the way down or someone started it, I'm going to go with something or someone started it, but it doesn't tell us about God. It doesn't actually reveal who God is and what he's like or what this creation is like. And so the next step would be to be like, well, can we infer, can we work something out about creation? And from this story, what does it tell us? And I think the next thing it tells us is that there's order in creation, not chaos. There's an order to the created world. There's an order to it all. Um, and I think we see that in creation from you know, the small inner workings of cellular biology, how chemicals work and how water moves as it kind of, what's that word? Osmosis, I knew someone would be there. Wow. I've got it written down by a blank dolly. Osmosis, do you know what? It's fascinating. From the tiny, minute details to, to the great and the grand, the cosmos, the, the planets spinning in orbit, it's, I think, deeply unreasonable to, uh, to think of all of the complexity of life on this tiny spinning rock in the vast quantity of space with all its supernovas and black holes and asteroids and everything that we're here. I think that's, the odds are astronomical. Do you know that someone won like 1.26 billion the other day uh, in America? Was, we read it last night and we were, me and Chloe were daydreaming about what we were going to do with all that money if we won. We had different answers. <laughs> Marriage course. So we'll, um, but the odds of winning that, I was reading, were, 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 were like, it was like one in a few million, which is obviously really high. It's like, it, but it happens. That's not what the odds of this universe are. I can't remember what it is now, but it's like you couldn't write them all down. It's like to the nth degree. It's crazy odds if you actually looked at it, if you actually thought about what would need to happen for anything to grow and to have any life, let alone intelligent life that's asking the questions about our origins. The idea that we're consciously thinking about these questions is quite amazing. And this is an order and a structure that we see in creation that I think is, uh, is again, something that we can look out the window and see our eyes are open to it, but it's also being communicated in the text. Again, I draw our attention to the order of, and I, I just highlighted 
two things that repeat, but there's a lot of repetition in Genesis chapter one. This is a, like a poetic structure, and there's this like day one, and he said, and it was so, and it was good. Morning and night, and it was good. Day two, and he said, and it was so. There was morning and evening, and it was good. Day three, and it goes on and on. It's a repetitive form to show there's an order, there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's a trajectory of creation as God is creating. The other thing that I think is helpful on the other slide is seeing, uh, which is the, the, the other one with less squiggles but more color. There we go. Oh, the color's not come through. The top three days you can see in the first sentence it says that the, the earth was void and uh, was formless and void. In other words, empty. It had no form to it, no structure, and it was empty. And then, in days one, two, and three, we see that God creates the spaces. He forms the world. So day one, he forms um, light and day and night, light and darkness. And these are time markers. So he, he, he creates the space, the place, for, where, for like time, as it were. Day and then night. That's kind of the, the, the measurement for time, isn't it? It's the simplest and easiest way to measure it, uh, the passage of time is through days. And so he creates the, the, the arena, the space for time, day one. Day two, he creates, he separates out the skies, the heavens, the skies from uh, the seas and the, the waters. So he creates space for, uh, in the sky and creates spaces in the sea, those spaces. And then day three, he creates pulls out of, the land, uh, out of the seas the earth and the land. And so he creates the land space. And then as sort of like a bonus, creates vegetation, trees, and, and habitats. And if you remember from primary school, habitats are places where animals live. But he doesn't, so he creates the place. So day one, two, three. Then day four cycles back. So he's formed, and now he's going to fill. Remember the earth was formless and void, well, he does the form, and now he's going to fill. This is very much uh, a th like a thoughtful... This guy's thought this through as he's written it down. And I think that's important because from that, we can, like some of the questions that we, you hear and we ask, and again, they're good questions, like how is the sun and the moon created on day four and light is in day one? That sort of doesn't make sense because we know where light comes from, right? But the author doesn't care about where light comes from. That's not their point. Their point is, here is a God who's going to form everything, and then a God who's going to fill everything. They're making that point. It's a different point to the question that we're asking. They're answering different questions. Doesn't mean our question's bad. It just means you can't really ask it of this text. Where are the dinosaurs? Well, that's, again, not a question that the author cares about at all. I care about it, but they don't, and that's okay. It's a good question to ask, but we will not get the answer here. That's the point I'm trying to make. Might get the answer in the story of Noah. Who knows? Um, we're not doing that yet. Um, there's order. There's order in this verse to amplify, to... To, to like underline, to say, and to shout at us that this world is ordered, there's a plan, there's a purpose. There's a plan and a purpose for all of this stuff, including you, friends. There's a plan and a purpose for your life. You're part of creation, and God cares 
intimately about you. I believe that's what part of the point here is. So these are two important questions. Why is there something, not nothing? And why is there order and not chaos? The last thing then would be, okay, if I'm going to believe in an unmoved mover, if I'm going to believe in a first cause, if I'm going to say that that's God who's put it all there in the first place, and I'm going to agree that, yes, the world looks pretty ordered, and yes, okay, Genesis 1 is telling me that there's an order and there's a plan and there's a purpose. Well, I need to know what this God is like to understand his plan and his purpose. Is his plan and his purpose for me good? Do I even want to be involved? What's God like? And this is a theme that we'll come back to time and time again. It's kind of the theme of scripture, really. It's a big theme, obviously. Uh, But we can get some great facts from these verses. Firstly, God is eternal. Because he was before. He was before the beginning. He stood outside of time. So he's eternal. His perspective is unlike ours. And he's the creator. And creative creator. That he's... He loves the, the, the beautiful, diverse differences of all of creation, which includes you and I, and all of our differences and ways that we are different are to be celebrated. That's clear in this text, because if God created all of the beautiful wonder, I, I watch Octonauts with Harry. Octonauts <laughs> is brilliant. It's a kids' TV program, but the other day there was an episode on the duck Bill platypus. Those creatures are crazy. They're like hairy beaver duck things with like lay eggs and then have poisonous claws. God thought that one up. And all of the other crazy stuff that there is in this world, he's creative beyond our creativity. Like there's some people who say, oh, I'm a creative person. You know, you come up with an adjective to describe yourself and some people say I'm creative. We're all creative. Oh, spoilers for next week because we're created in God's, (laughs) we're created in God's image. Sorry, Josh. We're created in God's image. We're like him, and he's creative. And that, to me, is beautiful and awesome and wonderful. We also see that God is good. From this text, the author wants, us to, wants to emphasize God's goodness. We saw in verse 1 how it's repeated seven times. God, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good. And then, finally, he saw that it was very good. This is to emphasize the goodness of creation. And I'm going to argue now that only a good God creates a good creation. That that's meant to reflect back on God. He sees creation, he says it's good because he knows what good is and he cares about what good is. He loves goodness and he wants to make a world that's good. And I think that's good. It's great. The word lost its meaning there, as, as I said it so many times. But that's, that's fantastic. That's what I need to know about God, is that he cares about goodness. He wants the world to be good. And when I look around the world and say, ah, but that isn't good, that should raise a question in me, a question that we'll answer in about five weeks' time when we look at sin and, and evil and entering the garden but it should at least spark that thought in my mind. Here is a God who creates a good world, but that's not good. Why? Here is a God that creates this order and this beauty, but that was chaotic. What's going on? God wants us to answer those questions or to, to try and to, and to grapple with. We also see that God is in a loving community. 
this is something that's profoundly, uh, it's prof- I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that we see this in, right here in the first verses of, of the Bible. But as Christians, we believe that what we see in Scripture is, is what we call the Trinity. And the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible. It's not, it's not biblical in that sense. It's not in the Bible. But it's a word we use to describe something that we see in Scripture as a, as a theme that develops over time. But the origin of that theme, that idea that God is somehow in a, in, in, in a pluralistic relationship, that he's, he's one God, absolutely, but in three persons, this profound mystery, this crazy um, statement, we start to see the seeds of that even now, the origin here in Genesis chapter 1. We read in, in, in verse two that you know, God who's um, in the beginning and then we read the spirit of God hovered over the waters. But it's amazing, um, John, John chapter one, so the sort of uh, one of the gospels in the New Testament, John chapter one, he, the, the gospel writer John is sort of rewrites Genesis but like with, with Jesus in mind because he writes, in the beginning was the word. And uh, the word then he unpacks to refer to Jesus. And it seems a bit strange, but actually it's not. Because the word in Genesis, when we go back and we see the spirit hovered over the face of the water, it's a really important connection that we miss with the word spirit. Because in Hebrew, the word spirit is ruach, which means the same as breath or wind. It's why we use the wind metaphor this morning as we talk about the spirit, a rushing wind coming in and inviting the spirit to come into our life. It's because it's, it's one and the same word in Hebrew. And if you know, if you put your hand in front of your, in your mouth and you, and you speak, you can feel your breath. So, so God's word and his breath are like one and the same thing, although they're obviously different. It's as God has an idea in his mind, the creator God the Father, as he has this idea in his mind, he speaks it out with the breath of his spirit. It forms the words that then go on to form creation. And so that's what John is picking up in his gospel. It's what Paul the Apostle says about in Colossians, that all of creation was created through and for Jesus. Amazing. But he gets it because right here in Genesis chapter one, the writer is saying that God is speaking through his spirit a word and his word is his intentions. It's his ideas made real. That's what, when, God's, when anyone speaks, they're communicating their ideas, right? That's, your ideas are in there until they're out here. Um, and so speaking is the most uh, direct form of getting your ideas out. And so speaking is God's making manifest his ideas, his thoughts, his heart. And that's exactly who Jesus is. God's thoughts, heart, ideas made manifest, made real, made physical, made flesh and blood. It's profound and it's right here in Genesis. So God is already showing us that he is formed in a loving community, which helps us. And later on in verse 26, um, he goes on to create humanity and again, puzzling words if we don't already understand, if we haven't kind of started to think about this Trinitarian idea. He says, let us make them, as in humanity, let us, who's he speaking to? There's no one else there. There's no one else there. Let us make them in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is saying, let them, humanity, be in a loving relationship that's similar to ours. 
Again, Jesus says the same thing in, in John's gospel. Father, let them know you like I know you. He wants a relationship that is similar in some way to his relationship with the Father. I mean, that's like super profound. We can't do it justice. Um, but it's, it's a theme that starts here and will continue to be unpacked as we, as we walk with God for the rest of our lives and as we study his word and grapple with it. And the last thing that I want to say that we, we hear and see about God from Genesis then, so to close, I, I think what this author wants us to see is that this is a God who's created a world, created a universe, I should say, created the universe, and doesn't stand aside from it. So we went back to that original question, why is there something and not nothing? Well, the cosmological argument gets us a first cause, but that's not really enough for me. I don't want a kind of impersonal, like Star Wars-esque The Force. I don't want that. Like, that's, that's, not, help, like, that's not helpful. And thankfully, that's, that's not what's presented. What's presented to us, what the, script, what, what the Bible tells us, what the author wants to say is that this God, who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, is intimately involved in creation, is passionately connected to the world that he's made, to the universe that he has created. He wants to be known by his creation. He doesn't want to sit back and just see how it goes. That's not what God has done. That's not what God is doing. It's perhaps one of the most startling claims in this account is that the, the intimacy of God, and we, we should look at it again a bit more in chapter two, that God walks with humanity in the garden. He comes and dwells amongst them. That that time and time again is the story of scripture, how God wants to be with his people. It's not about like removing us from the earth to be with him. It's about him coming and being in this place with us and sharing this good world with us. He wants to get down. Uh, you know, the image I have in my mind is like, in my school, my kids, I, I teach five and six-year-olds, right? So we have a time of play. And, uh, and at the end of the day, sometimes it's choosing time and they get to go and play. And as the teacher, it's, it feels really... Um, like what I should be doing at that moment is doing all the marking or going and doing all the emails. But like the best time with the kids, the best moment is just sitting down and playing with them. That's when I get to know them. That's when I actually get to have the conversations with my students. That's when I actually get to see what they care about. Sitting down with them and playing with them. That's a very simple sort of um, image and illustration. But I believe that's what God is saying is in this text. is that He wants to come and be with us, do life with us, the hard stuff and the good stuff. He's there for us. And so uh, we, you know, we see that in this text, that he's created the world through his words. Um, but also, profoundly, as we said, coming in the person of Jesus, I think it's foreshadowed, it's kind of hinted at, the origin is found here, but it's what the, 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 the climax of the story, to skip ahead, is that God comes in the flesh through Jesus, in Jesus, to come and live with us in this world. That's amazing. So if I can invite the band up, um, we're going to have a time of worship now. We're going we're gonna to sing a song um, that, that really um, kind of wants to lift up and praise an almighty God who made it all. 
So we're going to kind of go back to this idea of, of God as creator. God is the one who's put it all into place. So God is the one who's put it all together, who's created this beautiful world with order and plans and purpose. And, um, and then after we sang, we're going to take communion. And I think um, Nina's going to lead us in taking communion. But can I encourage us as we sing? God, it's not an impersonal God who's outside looking in, but a God who stepped into our very creation that he created to have an intimate relationship with us. That's the God that we worship this morning. That's the almighty God who's outside of it all in, in like every respect except for the fact that he's came and stepped in to be with us, to be with us as his people and to love us as a father loves his children. Can, I, can we stand? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing.